0: Economic development has been one of the General Assembly's top priorities for years, even decades. Hoosier lawmakers have slashed various business taxes, eased regulatory constraints, weakened labor unions, and even changed the way Hoosiers set their clocks. All, we were told, is part of an ongoing campaign to position Indiana as a 21st century promised land for job-wielding companies. Many of those efforts might be for naught, though, thanks to the state's highly controversial enactment of the so-called Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Hi, I'm John Chuanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll assess the law's short-term financial impact and explore whether the state's promised fix can, in time, reverse the reputational and economic damage that's been done. Here's some background from WFYI's Eric Hartvig.
1: The signing of Indiana's religious freedom law stirred up controversy nationally this week.
2: What we had hoped for with the bill was a message of. Inclusion. Inclusion of all religious beliefs.
3: We do not condone discrimination, we do not tolerate discrimination, and we will not legislate discrimination.
1: Backlash over the RFRA law may also have a serious effect on Indiana's economy.
4: And now, a new Twitter hashtag, Boycott Indiana
3: Growing Online.
1: Organizations such as the NCAA, Angie's List and Eli Lilly publicly support the new changes to the law amidst a growing list of concert and convention cancellations. Indiana welcomes 72 million visitors each year. These visitors spent just over $10.3 billion in 2013. Though the river blowback stands to threaten more than Indiana tourism dollars, Many Hoosier businesses remain hopeful that the numbers will continue to increase in light of making changes concerning LGBT civil rights, while others feel the damage has been done. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Indiana does not give anyone the right to deny services to anyone in
0: this state. We've got a perception problem here because some people have a different view. And we intend to correct that.
1: For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Eric Hartvig.
0: Thanks, Eric. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana lawmakers, from the state house to your house.
1: Purdue researchers are at the top
4: edge of computer technology. 3-D design, using hand gestures, extending mobile battery life, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.
0: Indiana, a state that works. The Indiana Economic Development Corporation has spent millions of dollars delivering that message. Through print ads, TV spots, stadium banners... Even periodic pronouncements on a digital billboard towering over New York's Times Square. Nearly two years' worth of costly, carefully choreographed promotion, however, may have been nullified seemingly overnight by negative publicity surrounding the state's Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Joining me to take stock of the situation and weigh possible damage control strategies our Republican Representative David Ober of Albion, Assistant Majority Whip of the Indiana House and Tourism Asset Coordinator for the Noble County Convention and Visitors Bureau, Democratic Representative Dan Forrestal of Indianapolis, House Democratic Policy Director and a member of the House Commerce, Small Business and Economic Development Committee, Jim Brainerd, the fifth-term mayor of Carmel, Indiana, one of the fastest-growing cities in the Midwest, and Michael Huber, a former Indianapolis Deputy Mayor for Economic Development who now serves as President and CEO of the Indy Chamber. Thank you all for being here on a a very busy week. I have never seen anything quite like what we have seen uh, this week. Uh, David Ober, let me start with you. Even Mike Pence uh, acknowledged this week that perhaps he didn't fully anticipate or appreciate the volume of criticism and the the backlash.
2: Uh, Did you? i don 't think anybody uh, really anticipated the uh, the backlash on this thing uh, uh, It was uh, uh, like you said overnight, and um, the uh, the impact was far reaching and so I think uh, to get to this point, uh, no one really understood that this was going to be what might be the impact of passing this legislation
0: should should there have been greater recognition is that uh a shortcoming on the part of either the administration or legislative leadership that there wasn't a greater recognition of the potential ramifications?
2: Well I think that uh, you know when, when talking and discussing about this issue we we're talking about something that had been in place in, for twenty-two years at the federal level and had uh, been passed in many other states uh, Different. Slightly diff- could, different, yeah. other sta- uh, different in other states uh, but that um, it had never been interpreted that way before uh, we did not really look at it from a, from the, the standpoint of this uh, enshrining any kind of discrimination in state law, uh, because quite frankly, the case law has never bore out that that result in 20 years. So, uh, yeah, no, nobody really saw this coming.
0: And let me and I, we're going to we have three other panelists I want right. to get to, but let me ask you the most cliched and obvious question: If you could do it over again, what would you do differently? If we go back to the third reading uh, vote.
2: I think that we should have uh, more closely mirrored uh, what language was being uh, passed at the federal level, uh, and I think that we should have been a, lo- a lot more careful with this thing. Uh, and I think that we can now, in hindsight, look at this and, and say, you know, whether this was absolutely necessary to do this year.
0: Uh, Dan Forrestal, did somebody drop the ball here by not uh, kind of having the radar working uh, a little more actively to see what might befall Indiana if this was enacted?
4: I would say, yeah, I would say that's you know, probably even a a bit of an understatement. Uh, I think for the past three years uh, since I've been a a representative, uh, you know, Indiana House Democrats have tried to uh, warn our friends in the supermajorities and the governor to stay away from these really, really divisive Uh, social issues and it hasn't worked and this session the longest uh, floor debate that happened was on this law and it was about exactly this that it was creating a perception that Indiana was unwelcoming that we were attacking a certain group of people Uh, we had amendments that would have fixed it those were shot down on party lines Um, you know we feel like we did our best to uh, ring the warning alarm about this bill and the it just went unheeded
0: Uh, Mayor Brainerd you know uh, no doubt we've seen any number of mayors and, and chamber officials lining up uh, in, this week and even last week uh, prior to the, the final vote to say this is a bad thing. Was there perhaps not as much attention uh, paid to this or as much, uh, was it not treated as seriously as it should have been, say in January and February, uh, when this could have been maybe uh, redirected without putting uh, uh, the governor and others perhaps in a bit of a catch-22? That would
5: be nice. You know, I think hindsight's easy. Uh, I think with social media today and other quick means of communication that uh, things escalate very quickly. I, I think the real question uh, is what do we do now? You know, there's the old saw that, you know, politician says, as long as they spell my name right, I don't care. That's true to some extent, but but the real issue now is that we've caught everybody's attention, are we going to be able to say, look, yeah, we made a mistake, but how do we fix it? And have we fixed it well? Uh, And uh, where do we go from here in terms of being able to attract uh, the smartest, brightest people? Because we know if we can't attract those people to the state, we're not going to be able to attract the good jobs that we want.
0: And I do want to talk about the fix, which uh, I should point out as we tape this uh, segment, we're in a bit of an awkward spot because we're still a a few moments actually away from the formal announcement of what appears to be an agreement that will add clarifying uh, language. But I think we're we're pretty much know where that headed. It's not outright repeal as as your caucus, Dan Forrestal, had wanted. It's not a change in the civil rights uh, provisions overall about protected classes. Something maybe uh, a little bit in between there. But this notion of, of being caught off guard, I'm guessing, Michael Huber, you were not caught off guard. Other chambers were not. But, again, I didn't see the same kind of mobilization. This year, for instance, that I saw last year with the attempts to derail the proposed constitutional ban on same-sex marriage.
6: Yeah, John, the, the business community did oppose it since its introduction, but, at, but also was caught off guard, there's no question. It um, opposed it since its introduction just because it was uh, uh, similar to what Representative Forstall said, felt that it was divisive, time-consuming when it'd be better for the General Assembly to focus on other issues. But no one could have seen this coming, and anyone who says that, uh, that he or she did see it coming is lying, I think. I, uh, I, what, it, it was uh, bad timing, um, a very well-organized national movement that follows issues of equality just waiting to single out the first state that passed uh, the RFRA. Um I, I think the governor and, and maybe the governor's staff have done themselves a little bit of a disservice by the constant comparisons to 19 other states because – it it shined a light on the fact that many of those other states that have the RIFRA also have strong statewide anti-discrimination laws that we don't have yet in Indiana and so um, uh, you know no one could have no one I don't think could have could have seen that coming Uh, the the last thing I'd say that that's been a real wake-up call for for um, our employers in central Indiana is um, now it's it's you know perception is reality and there have been a lot of criticisms leveled in Indiana that just aren't true and even exaggerations of the existing bill that aren't in there but the market is speaking very loudly. It's clear that the market cares a lot about this issue, and the perception of a state as a welcoming, inclusive place is really important to attracting the talent and attracting
0: companies. Well, let's talk about the, the brand, if you want to put, put this in business terms. You know, we had Ford with the Edsel. We've, we've had uh, Coca-Cola with New Coke. There have been kind of case studies in, in how not to uh, uh, roll out a product or to uh, put forth your brand in a positive light. How bad, uh, I know you were surprised by the reaction, but how bad is the damage right now? How would you assess it? And you're in the tourism uh, business, your day job. I mean, scale of 1 to 10, is this a 15 or 20 or
2: what? <laughs> well, I, I would say it's it's up there towards the top, absolutely. And uh, when we talk about how we start to repair the reputation of the state and, and uh, uh, get everybody back in a positive trajectory here, uh, we have to recognize that... Uh, Uh, social issues now are are becoming economic issues uh... and fiscal issues and so uh... i think right now what we have to focus on what we are focused on is saying that the state of indiana takes the strongest possible position opposing any kind of discrimination for any kind uh... for any reason Uh, and that we will make clear that that was never the intent of the law uh... and it's not the intent of the members of the general assembly or the governor's office uh, and so, uh, yes, uh, it's time to hunker down and start to rebuild. And and have you heard,
0: I mean, we've all heard anecdotes about, and threats about people going elsewhere. And I know uh, Wilco, the, the band, decided not to perform mm-hmm. Disciples of Christ, which is based in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. said, uh, you know, we're not going to have our North American conference here in 2017. Angie's List did, yeah. s- decided at this point not to move forward with a, an expansion that might have yielded a 1,000 jobs. Do you believe, is everybody out there taking these threats at face value, uh, or is there a lot of bluster, do you think, and posturing?
1: Well,
4: first let me start by saying when I I really uh, realized that this was at critical mass is when I saw uh, the governor and leaders uh, in the Republican House and Senate taking cover under President Bill Clinton and President Obama. Uh, I never thought I would see the day when that would be the wing that they would run under. And and so I think that really tells you how out of control this thing has gotten. And one thing that's been really disappointing, and Angie's list is in my district, that's a 1,000 jobs, a $40 million expansion, and they're seriously looking at, uh, I think, going somewhere else, somewhere more welcoming. Uh, My hope is that we will stop that kind of loss uh, to the city of Indianapolis and to the state of Indiana as a whole. But we have everyone agreeing at the same time that discrimination is wrong, but none of our leaders stepping forward to fix it. Uh, that is a serious problem and it's a serious gap in uh, policy that I think has to be addressed to really restore Indiana's good reputation.
0: I wonder if we're seeing uh, a shift, a change in the landscape here. It used to be that when we talk about companies kind of throwing their weight around they would usually be over economic development incentives or you know a classic example if you don't build me a stadium I'll take my pro sports franchise uh, elsewhere. Are we seeing something now different that companies can flex their muscles on just about anything. I mean, are you? you have forty or so corporate headquarters? Well, we're I up think to seventy-five. Seventy-five. Yeah. Uh, are you worried that they're all going to start showing up on your doorstep? Never mind the state issues, uh, you know, and say at city council, or you know, we really feel yeah. that we should do this or that or the other. I got quite a few phone
5: calls yesterday. People having difficulty with, uh, you know, hiring offers out suddenly the candidates withdrawing because of the adverse national publicity we were getting. But I think we all recognize uh, corporations and government, at least in Carmel. It's about quality of life. It's, it's about, uh, building a place that people have choices people, especially, uh, the best and brightest employees have choices about where they go. They can go to the West coast, the East coast, the South. They can, uh, you know, in my generation, I think we found a job and went there today. People find a place they want to live and, and then look for a job. Uh, you know, we don't have mountains or oceans or great weather uh, a lot of the We're year. We're going to build one, though. I think that's in <laughs> a five-year plan. Yeah. <laughs> what I point out, neither does Paris. You know, they did just <laughs> fine. It's flat, uh, little murky river through it, and, and no mountains, no oceans. And so we really have to focus, like they did, on that built environment. And part of the built environment is that perception out there about whether it's a place you want to spend your life and so we can get over this. I'm very optimistic. We've got everyone's attention. We just need to say, hey, you know, the people of Indiana demanded that this be fixed uh, because the perception that's out there doesn't reflect our state's values, the people of the state. And I think uh, most thoughtful people know that.
0: Uh, Michael Huber, you know, you have heard the mayor of Carmel. You're active, of course, in Indianapolis. It seems as if a lot of municipalities have tried amid all the craziness this week to say, hey, we have, we're not like the rest of the state, you know, and we've seen efforts in Indianapolis with some of the downtown businesses to say, uh, you know, we're welcoming. Uh, Fishers, I think, either passed or is passing a proclamation saying we are welcoming. Because of the relationships that these communities already have with businesses, is that going to carry the day, or or do people paint with a broad brush and say, Indiana, we don't want any of that?
6: Uh, we have to go down that road because, frankly, we don't have a choice. This is a, this is a state law that's um, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, given the state a bad name, and that extends to uh, central Indiana. Um, it's it's going to force us to be much more regional in our cooperation, and I would argue, and I hope Mayor Brainerd feels the same, the, the level of, of real uh, meaningful regional cooperation that's happening in central Indiana but also around the state is at an unprecedented high, and we can build off that. Um, I want to respond to what one thing that Mayor Brainerd said, because the biggest disruption, and this is part of telling the story, I think, to the General Assembly and others in, in making this right, the, the biggest disruption in, in our economy, and it definitely impacts Indiana, is the biggest difference between thriving cities and declining cities, or let's say thriving regions and declining regions, is their ability to attract top talent and retain top talent. The, the the millennial generation is the most mobile generation that we've seen, and and we know them because they're our family members and our sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. They de- they decide, I want to be in Seattle, Washington, and I'll go figure out the job once I get to Seattle, Washington. That's different from my generation, Gen X, and others, and so it is very important. And the market is telling us this right now. That we've got a signal that we have an inclusive environment, but also it's not just about com- companies. When, when I was deputy mayor, and I saw this just over a five year period. It became less and less about um, we love your tax climate, we love your incentive programs. It became more about I don't know if I can recruit people from California to Indianapolis or tell me about the quality of life in the region in Indianapolis and Carmel and and Zionsville. And that's that's something that is creating the shockwaves all across the country and our economic development approach and also the policies we put in place have got to start to fit that
0: new context. So, uh, David, over your caucus apparently has heard this based on what you've said. We talked about the announcement that will be forthcoming, and and you've alluded already to what it will look like. Why not, given all that, why not just uh, do what the Democratic caucus has called for and and have an outright repeal, or go into the civil rights statute and add uh, gender orientation to the uh, list of protected categories along with, uh, you know, disabilities, age, uh, race, religion? Why not? Why not? The, one of the what would seem to be an easier approach.
2: Well, there are a lot of different op- op- options on the table. There have been, and there have been a lot of folks that have been really willing to offer, um, you know, those uh, those ideas. Um, but our leadership has been meeting with a large uh, coalition of business leaders and folks who are active in the national movement uh, uh, for equality. And uh, these, this uh, plan that will be announced is. Uh, the end result of those conversations, and you're pretty confident that this
0: will, based on the com- communication that the caucus and others have had with the business community, that this will satisfy the, their concerns. I believe so. I'm guessing Dan Forestall, you may have a different uh, take.
4: Well, we, uh, you know, let me start by saying that this is Democrats have been shut out of this process uh, thus far. The only paper I've seen have been things that were uh, emailed, and I think you know cell phone photos. So we w- we would appreciate it. Uh, being brought into this uh, process a little bit more, but that said, I, although I you're not
0: needed, I mean, to put it bluntly, because correct. there are super majorities in both the House and Senate, Republican absolutely true.
4: But uh, but I would argue that the you know had we been listened to earlier on, we could have avoided all of this. Uh, I mean, if if the, if one of the two amendments that we had offered on the floor had been accepted, this would have been a very very different outcome. Uh, we, we you know we tried our best to. Uh, you know, let our position be known. We don't feel like we were listened to all that, uh, in, you know, intently. Um, but, y- you know, essentially what, what I think the House Democrats have an issue with is, again, if we all agree that discrimination is wrong, how can anything short of not allowing discrimination be right? I, I mean, is a little bit of discrimination okay? Is You know, how much? Uh, and so from from that perspective, I feel... Uh, that the, you know, the only way that the law has become so tainted that we should repeal it and rewrite it in a fashion that lets everyone know Indiana's open for
0: business. Uh, again, those of you who deal with economic development day in and day out, do you think this proposed fix, as it's been described, will get the job done? Well, I, hope, I hope
5: so. I, yeah, I haven't read the language yet, uh, but I hope it clearly and unequivocally says that we can't discriminate against uh, uh, against folks for their sexual orientation. It needs to say that. It needs to be clear. Uh, It needs to be clearer than it would have had to be two or three weeks ago. We need to send a message to the rest of the country. Everybody knows we have a problem. The question is, how are we going to fix it? And
0: hopefully this uh, new language, which we haven't seen yet, does that. Michael Huber, the damage. Even if if the fix, as we're describing it here, is... Satisfactory to the businesses that have threatened to take their business elsewhere. Does Indiana still have a black eye, and if so, how long does that black eye exist?
6: Um, on one hand, we have to acknowledge that um, it's going to sting for years. Um, on the other hand, though, I'm very optimistic. Our conference room has been ground zero since Sunday, with uh, Salesforce, Cummins, uh, uh, Eli Lilly, you know, members of other of other companies, trying to figure out how to how to make this right. I think that this can have a unifying effect, but We're going to ask, you know, people on the Republican side uh, to, you know, I appreciate uh, Representative Ober's remarks to really uh, uh, help us get serious about uh, even perceptions of discrimination. And we're going to ask the Democrats to try to be pragmatic, because every day that we don't get this done we're getting hit. We're losing millions of dollars. I mean, just our central Indiana may have lost a billion dollars or more uh, based on different studies that are out there. So there's an urgency to getting something done. I I want to say, too, we also have to not demonize people who supported the RFRA First place, because I know a lot of people who supported it, who weren't didn't, who who weren't supporting it because they thought it would promote discrimination. They were they have sincere belief that it would protect people's religious beliefs. So I'm optimistic that there's going to be a healing moment once we get this done.
0: You know, very good. Unfortunately, uh, we're out of time, but uh, I think as you all made clear, this has been a historic week in Mm -hmm. Indiana and. It ain't done yet. We'll we'll see how this all unfolds. I thank you all for being here. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative David Ober of Albion, Democratic Representative Dan Forrestal of Indianapolis, Carmel Mayor Jim Brainerd, and Michael Huber, President and CEO of the Indy Chamber. With a political firestorm still smoldering, there's still a lot to get done in this legislative session. The clock's ticking on the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly discussion with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, the governor has taken a hit in Indiana. The General Assembly has taken a hit. Where does this, you know, what happens to the rest of the session? And who who emerges from the ashes here?
3: Well, contrary to a lot of of public perception, legislators can walk and chew gum and legislate at the same time, and legislation will continue. The job of legislating will go on. They will be able to get their, their work done. Things will be a little bit more compressed because they essentially lost a week here with all the, the distractions from the, the shiny objects, but they will be able to, to continue. What will be interesting will, will be to see who emerges as the, the de facto leader now. You know, they're not going to be looking to the governor for leadership, even the Republicans at this point, because I think that they see that his brand has been kind of damaged, particularly now, even in, in the economic end of, of things. So I don't think that the governor is going to be quite as forceful a leader, and I don't think that people are going to be looking to him quite like they would have before in the budget or anything. And Speaker Bosma seems to be the the voice of reason in all of this, and the, the person who who seems to have brought things together with with Senate Pre- President Pro Tem David Long. I think Speaker Bosma will play a much bigger role in things, both publicly and privately. In, in the next few weeks than you might have expected. And that also brings up the question as to who's responsible for all of this in the first place. You know, was this the governor who pushed it? Was it Speaker Bosma who pushed it and is now fixing well, the Well, what's damage?
0: your take? I mean, you... I don't they, think
3: anybody is quite sure, and I think that there's a, a lot of responsibility and, and blame to, to go around on this one. I think that that's that's uh, a subject for the postmortem at the end of the session.
0: How lasting do you think the, you talked about the political damage maybe to, uh, surrounding the governor, within his own party, and his own uh, legislative caucuses. How long-lasting is that damage, and how long-lasting do you think the overall
3: impact on Indiana is? Uh, we've got, what, uh, three more weeks to talk about this, and it's going to be extensive for the governor and for the Republican Party. It, it's a, a real hit to his brand, to the Republican Party's bank brand. The timing could not be worse, both uh, in terms of, of the city of Indianapolis and the state of Indiana, and politically for the Republicans, with the coach seat speculation opening up last week, and you know, now you've got the, the change at the top in the Republican Party and uh, a guy from the faith-based community basically taking over the party who's close to the governor from a moderate who is more independent of the governor. A lot of questions are going to be raised about the future of the Republican Party and Mike Pence.
0: We need our score sheets to keep track of all this. It's going to be an interesting few weeks and years, it sounds like. Ed, thanks as always for your insight. For more information, episode streams, and extra content, visit us on the web at WFYI.orgslash lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the internet as well. And remember you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanas, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media and Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for exclusive web content, including the best advice our guests have ever received. Until next week,
2: take care.
3: The Visual Analytics Law Enforcement Toolkit, or valet, developed at Purdue University brings critical data and analytics to police departments instantly, so officers are a step ahead of criminal activity. To learn more, visit otc-prf.org.